really enjoyed the relationships, not only uh, at different academic institutions, but also uh, with uh, integrated poultry operations as well as allied industry. I mean, a whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. Adaseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Poultry Podcast. My name is Jason Emmert, and today we're visiting with Dr. William Dozier, who is a professor and extension specialist in the Poultry Science Department at Auburn University. Dr. Dozier received his bachelor's degree and PhD from Auburn with a master's degree from the University of Kentucky sandwiched in between. During his time at Auburn, he served as Department Head of Poultry Science, and he was previously a research animal scientist with the USDA ARS. Dr. Dozer's research focuses on defining nutritional needs of broilers with a particular emphasis on amino acids and energy, as well as the use of enzymes and alternative ingredients. Dr. Dozer, welcome to the Poultry Podcast. Oh, thank you, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Emmert. I'm uh, glad to be here. Great. Well, we like to start off hearing about people's uh, academic journeys, kind of whatever you'd like to share about how you got to where you are today. Right. Okay. Uh, I uh, completed a BS in uh, animal and dairy science at Auburn University in 1992 and, uh, and uh, joined uh, as a graduate student at the University of Illinois uh, back in 1993 and went through some uh, health issues and I had to drop out of school. At, at the time, I was uh, working with uh, Dr. Gilbert Hollis as Sure, you remember him as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Dr. Dave Baker and Bob Easter. So, uh, and little did I know back then with Dr. Baker and his emphasis on amino acids and low C feed diets, and I, where my career would end up. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's quite fascinating, and I did not know as a young person uh, where it all would the journey would take. So, so. I, Credit a lot of uh, my career pathway, trickling amino acids, back to Dr. Baker. So, so I had to uh, uh, was forced to kind of get out of school just due to, as I mentioned, health issues, and mm -hmm. uh, approached Dr. Easter and Baker about a potential uh, assistantship. But at the time, they really didn't have funds for one. But then they told me that Dr. Cromwell. University of Kentucky had one, and so uh, they really paved the pathway for uh, me to go, you know, enter in grad school at the University of Kentucky. So, so I got linked up with Dr. Cromwell, and uh, 
there. I worked on amino acids, particularly uh, lysine and ideal protein ratio. Again, very familiar (laughs) with some of the the work I was doing at Illinois. So, uh, and at the time, uh, Dr. Cromwell was uh, chairing the 1998 uh, Swine NRC. Yes. So I kind of got to really for me rise myself with some behind the scenes things with an NRC, and I was like, I'll never do this. Uh, and and uh, a little bit I know, uh, uh-huh. some 25, 30 years later, uh, I'm serving on a poultry NRC committee. So yep, yep. Don't, don't know where, <clears throat> ever know where life takes you in that pathway. So that was, That's right. that was need. And so during that time, uh, you know, when I finished my master's, completed my master's there with uh, Dr. Cromwell, I had a lot of interaction with Dr. Lindemann. And uh, from that, uh, there was an opportunity that came open to go back to Auburn and work with Dr. Ed Moran on three and uh needs of heavy broilers. So, and actually uh, utilized uh, some work that happened, occurred at Illinois with Doug Wable and all yeah. that work on early days of L3 and because at the time when I started, it was really not utilized commercially available and uh you know now it's exceeding well above fifteen thousand metric tons in the u.s so it's that's been in terms of watching the growth for, for me as as a grad student working in this area yeah and actually seeing how that it really came to fruition in terms of how it's impacting the industry now as opposed to when I was just starting out doing research as a PhD student. So that's been r- r- really nice. And yeah. Eastman serves veterinarians and nutritionists in agrochemical and animal health industries by helping them select, evaluate, and implement innovative nutritional programs. Eastman works with your team to customize your gut health approach in feed and water. Eastman's approach addresses nutritional and bacterial challenges and finds new ingredient preservation and hygiene solutions. Explore ways to accelerate and innovate your programs. Contact the Animal Nutrition Team at Eastman.com. Isn't it wonderful to see, um, and sometimes it takes a little while, uh, but to see yeah, how research gets implemented and the impact that it can make, it's, it's really yeah. a, an amazing thing. And during that time, uh, uh, Mike Kidd was at uh, NutriQuest. And yeah. So, you know, since those days, I mean, uh, <clears throat> he and I have been co-authors on probably 35 or 40 papers over the years. Wow. So, yeah. you know, I guess that's where I would really, you know, <clears throat> advise grad students that you never know where these relationships during a, a graduate program will will take you over the years. So. That's for sure. I mean, it's, you just don't know. I know I, I ended up working with Dr. Baker based on a, a a comment when I was meeting with my advisor saying, I'd like to get some experience working in a lab, I think sophomore year of college. And he happened to walk into her office right at that time. And he said, Oh, I have a position. And yeah, you just don't know the, yeah. the networking, the connections. And boy, I tell you, your, your list of people you've worked with, that's a who's who. I mean, yeah. my goodness, Dr. Baker, Dr. Easter, and Gilbert Hollis, and Ed Moran, and Cromwell. I mean, what a what an amazing background. That's awesome. 
Yeah, and I, you know, and I do see myself. I look back, and there's certain characteristics. It seems like I've learned from one advisor versus another, and that's kind of neat to see. As you, it is kind yeah. of make your own pathway, but still, you still have those characteristics that you've learned as a grad student. So that's right. And I think it gives you hope, too, as you think beyond your own career. You know, you look at the ways that you incorporate things from people that you've worked with, things that you've learned, and gives you hope that uh, uh, people that have worked with you will learn those things and and carry on all the all the neat stuff that they learn from you. That's a yeah, that's one of the things I love about academia is that potential to make that difference. Impacting. uh students' lives and never know where they're going to go and uh, yeah. who they're going to impact and so, so forth. So that's pretty That's right. Neat, so. That's right. Yeah. And uh, not to diminish whatsoever the impact that because in- industry has its own kind of mentoring and, and relationship building. So this can happen in any setting. Oh, uh, yeah. But I, I think, you know, just stereotypically, we think about education having that that kind of approach and that opportunity. So, yeah, I'm just very thankful and grateful for the people I had the opportunity to work with. And yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, co-authoring some papers with Dr. Kidd. Yes. And I, I think it's a, a good thing um, to highlight that for for young scientists that might be listening, that you don't always have to be in the same place, same campus, you know, or our co-authors yeah. don't have to be in the uh, office next door. Now, I mean, there have been times when you've, you know, been in closer physical proximity right. than others. Um, but those working relationships, that's a, that's a rewarding thing when you can build connections with people that are even in other places and, right. and still, yeah, do those things. So, so when I finished up in Auburn, uh, my journey took me to uh, the university of Georgia and I was mm-hmm. housed in Tifton, Georgia with a, hundred percent extension appointment. So uh, I worked with the University of Georgia a little under four years, uh, almost four years there. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, really got to learn the industry and hands-on. So I was out in the field a good bit. Really enjoyed that aspect. But being on an off-campus location, I wanted to, you know, be engaged more with research facilities. So... Mm -hmm and be able to establish a research program. So I left and uh, there and entered into a position as a research animal scientist at Mississippi State and yeah. uh, there at the uh, USDA Poultry Research Unit. So, again, that's where Dr. Kidd and Dr. Alex Corzo and I really worked closely together. I was yeah. approximately about a quarter of a mile away from campus, so that mm-hmm. really uh, – Work, worked well for us for a period there. And so I was there about five years. And then uh, <clears throat> Dr. Moran had decided to retire at Auburn. And so decided to uh, apply for a uh, 80% research position, 20% teaching here at Auburn. Yeah. And moved here in 2008. And uh, so built a uh, applied nut- nutrition research program focusing on broilers. Did teach a course called poultry feeding as well. So I got to interact with undergrads. So and then that core that class also we 
and it was more of a piggyback course as well. So we did have a few grad students in there in that class as well. So that was really good to experience both undergrads and grad students and same type course there. And so then in 2019, uh, uh, <clears throat> start serving as the uh, you know, department head in poultry science here at Auburn and as well exec- as the executive director of the Charles Miller Research and Education Center. So, so, you know, you talk about aspects you've learned from grad school. I've really had to get engaged with a lot of building construction type projects because we've built about a $30 million facility. So uh, I've learned a lot about building science (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, on the job training. So that's been a neat neat experience. So, uh, and so, so here recently, uh, back in uh, May, I decided to step down back to the faculty and uh, yeah. did assume a department head role until September till we could get an interim, you know, <clears throat> on board. And so sure. uh, that's so this new position transition. I'm seventy five percent extension, twenty five percent research. So. Mm. So that's uh, that's really what, that's my journey in terms yeah. of poultry science, and have really enjoyed the relationships not only uh, at different academic institutions, but also mm-hmm. uh, with uh, integrated poultry operations as well as allied industry. I mean, yeah. certainly uh, maintaining a re- research program, and as you know, depending on Funding through uh, the allied industry certainly supported me very well over the years, and with that comes relationships. So I've, that's another piece that you really, I think, it's very important for students to acknowledge, get engaged with the industry uh, early in their career. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. Those relationships are they're in a sense they're they're everything. Because without those, I mean, there's very few of our jobs that would be manageable um, right. or, or fulfilling in any way without those <laughs> yep. relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you've had several points, um, several points in your career uh, where you've made a change and, and okay. sometimes, you know, change in location, sometimes a change in position. Do you have any thoughts or any advice for people? How, how do you know when it's time what what are some of the factors that have that have been important for you as you consider those changes? Because I I think there's people out there who are certainly afraid of making a change, but right. probably also some that just chase change for change's sake. Right. Well, I mean, I, this is some advice I was given. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you've just really got to be a stoop and uh, not run from something, mm-hmm. but go. To something. Oh yes, and yeah. there's a big difference there. Yeah, and uh, I just think over time, in a certain you know position, I mean, you kind of know that you would like to see experience something different, and uh, you know that's that happened to to me and uh, on a couple of occasions, and I'm trying to transition into one now. I mean. 
obviously. I mean, it's something new and different. You're going to have to get up to speed and so, so forth. And that takes time. And I think that's an area that people don't maybe want to uh, maybe try. As, you know, that change is it's going to take some effort. But, mm-hmm. but in the long run, I, to me, I think it's really re- rewarding. And uh, yeah. so – you know, that's uh, for me and going back to an extension role and being able to give back to uh, serve our industry here in Alabama. I mean, we've got a large poultry industry, so giving back to it and helping our industry through educational programs and stuff to me is very rewarding. And uh Kind of how I started my career out. So, uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's kind of where I am today. So, but yeah. I wouldn't yeah. uh, definitely wouldn't be afraid to tell you know somebody to try, try something new. I mean, because things you know your career can get stale over time. And sure, oh sure, yeah. Sometimes you just know. Hey, it's I yeah. think it's time. Yeah, just try something different. I mean, I yeah. But I was a, I worked for a, a ruminant nutritionist when I was an undergrad, and he had a seven to eight year mark about teaching a course. And when he hit that, he was done with that. He was ready wow. to develop another course, yep. because he thought it got to him. It was stale, so right? Going right. in, teaching the same lectures over and over. So oh yeah. yeah. I just think it's fulfillment and, you know, to me, the way you're successful, you just got to be happy at what what you do. That's right. And I think for a lot of people, I know I I enjoy learning new things. And uh, I was going to ask, you know, you mentioned kind of getting into the having to manage construction and those kinds of things. Did you enjoy that? I'm I'm sure there are aspects that had to be frustrating and challenging, but overall was it? Yeah. I'm doing some of that Uh right now. I'm still continuing some of these, uh, you know, really uh, managing some of these. I've got about three or four main projects I'm still managing right now. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's different. Uh, it's just trying to manage that that team and making sure people understand what faculty need for, from the construction standpoint. And at the end of the day, what's what is this research facility? You know, is it going to fit our needs in terms of space or replications, so yeah. so forth? So I've really tried to a lot of these projects. I look at it through the lens of a graduate student and what do they need? And so at the end of the day that we can have these projects that are successful for faculty to do the work in. So, yeah, that's an interesting lens to look through, through the perspective of a grad student, because a lot of times they're, they're the ones doing a lot of the work. They are. uh, Yep. And if, if it's not going to work for them, it's probably not going to work for us. It's not going to work for the faculty. So, yeah. So yeah. I've, I've tried to look at it that do that. That's my, yeah. 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 And I'm sure there's always decisions have to be made. You get a wish list and then you get down to the, okay, here's what we can realistically do. Yeah. But, and that's what we call in construction world, the VE list. And that's what they call valued engineering. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> so uh, we go and start looking at that list and what, how can we shave this cost to meet the project's budget and so forth. So, right. so that's been, I mean, no, it's, it brings its opportunities, like you said, but sure. also uh, been able to pull all these groups together and it's also satisfying. Yeah, satisfying as well. It's a lot. Like I said, it's not something you learn as a graduate student. No, no. You know, there are days when I think, wow, I'm just not sure how much I'm using, you know, what what I learned in grad school. But then if I really think about it, uh, the problem solving, the critical thinking, I mean, there's so much of it that is directly applied to what I do every day. And that, you know, people interested or young faculty at some point in their career and they think they might want to entertain, you know, looking at, you know, administration. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a lot, just a lot of problem solving. Yeah. Putting out fires on a lot of days. You just never know what you're going to walk into. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's part of it. So, yeah. I always thought that department head level of administration the, looks like the the level where you get so many issues to try to solve and so few resources to actually be able to solve them. It just looks, yeah, it looks like it would have some challenges. But then the the reward of helping a a program run well, I think that would be pretty cool too. Yeah, the other one that I think is really, from a department head standpoint, you really get down to it. It's to me, there's three primary goals. One is, you know, doing annual reviews, being honest with people. Yes. How can we move the unit forward? And yep. that can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. People you know every day, and but yeah. still, we may need to make some changes and. Mm-hmm. You know, scholarship, and that's always big, is up above, is, you know, improve, enhancing scholarship in that unit, whether it's research, extension, outreach, as well as instruction. So the other one is hiring high-quality fa- faculty members uh, because that sets the tone for the next 20 or 30 years. And then yeah. one that's very much similar, you know, that has – it's very rewarding as well as mentoring young faculty through the P&T process and yeah. seeing them, you know, successfully get promoted and tenured is. Yeah. So that's how I look at in terms of a department head leadership, that those are to me the three big pillars of yeah. making the department run. I think that's very wise. Yeah. yeah. Very wise, because the, like you say, the the long term uh, ramifications for those hires. I mean, that's, that's it's decades. Yeah, yeah, yep. So, Absolutely. And then you give people, you know, you try to support them. You give them uh, the things they need to be successful, and you, you have much better chance of retaining people. Um, and and so, and even even then, even if you don't retain them, people are leaving with no ill will. They may just have other opportunities they need to right. pursue, but. Yeah, better off overall as a department. When, but don't, yeah. the other aspect of that, Jason, even if they want to move and go somewhere else, like say, and 
another opportunity that's great. But if they've been productive, then it's a lot easier in the negotiation phase about obtaining that position back to the department. Yes. So that's that's another reason on you have highly productive faculty members and administration can see that. And that's... You know, it was very beneficial to the department. Oh, great. Well, let's uh, switch gears just a bit. I wanted to see uh, if you'd like to talk about extension, just kind of a little bit more about what your extension work involves. And I think you've been in, involved in extension for quite a bit of your career. And what is it that draws you to that that area? Well, the being able to see the impact on uh, within a given complex and being able to problem solve and yeah. seeing that you know, them succeed and maybe an area that they might maybe struggling or just educating mm-hmm. first young service techs or people in the organization and through education materials, but yeah. just being front and center where it's really happening is uh, very re- rewarding to me. So that's great. What are, what are some of the big issues you're seeing now? What are, what are uh, integrators or allied industry, what are they struggling with the most? Hatchability is really big on the parole breeder side. And, oh, yeah. Well, that's something I, I hear get good bid. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, so I'm just trying to get my program started. So, yeah. uh, so I've been doing some visits over, this, over the fall semester and mm-hmm. getting out in the field. But that's one that's yeah. uh, really big. Uh, Pullet uniformity and getting these pullets and cockerels uniform before we move them into the layhouse is mm-hmm. important. On the broiler side, I mean, we've had infectious bronchitis down here that's, I guess, moved from Maryland down shore all the way down south. Wow. And, uh, so, uh, seeing a few few leg issues, but here and there, but. You know, a lot of the broiler numbers are very, very, very favorable. Feed conversion, yield, and all. But as you know, through genetic selection, we're selecting for, you know, very efficient birds that yeah. high yielding, then it has the other ramifications on the reproduction side. So, yeah. Hard to have cake and eat it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at. It's just yeah. Kind of, but just managing, managing uh, <clears throat> those breeders so that, uh, We'll have chicks to to, to set and uh, place at the farm. And at the end of the day, we've got to get birds on a shackle to run them through a plant to actually meet uh, the food service that they're demand. So uh, it it all goes full circle. So, but, you bet. but yeah, I mean, you see, you know, there's opportunities for helping people on litter quality, litter management. Yeah. Uh, there's always questions about you know ventilation comes up here and there, but uh, on sure. the other side, but yeah, sure. yeah. I'd say the big area right now is that I'm hearing on the life side is uh, you know obviously uh, being able to get chicks place in, at a, in a <clears throat> broiler house, you know, and that's right. all going to be impacted by fertility and hatchability. So oh yeah. Absolutely. Those problems, uh, that's not a, no, that's not a two or three day issue. <laughs> no, it's a long term because we're yeah. looking at breeder flocks and they may have been impacted at 
you know, four to eight weeks of age in the pullet house and it's just carry over. So, so sometimes you see that. So Yeah. Yeah. That's hard for people to understand just the, the length of time that companies plan. And uh, even with bird numbers, I mean, that's, oh, that's yeah. scheduled out long in advance. A lot of logistics that go through there. Yep. Yep. You can't just uh, snap your fingers and have more, more no. birds on hand. Yeah. No. And yeah. Because you've got, you know, different processing group. I mean, they're yeah. looking for <clears throat> chicks to be delivered to, to the or birds, market mm-hmm. weight birds to be delivered to the plant. And then the roller department, they want a good quality chick being placed. And so yeah. it goes all the way back to the pullet department, breeder department. So it's yeah. a big pr- process. So Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Are you, um, are you seeing much, I'm sure there's concern, but are, um, how's, uh, the AI situation there? Uh, we've, we've had a, a non-commercial flock break mm-hmm. and we've had one flock that's broken in terms of a commercial. Yeah. So I think we've been very fortunate in Alabama. So yeah, that's good. We just good. had the two and, uh, Yep. Really trying to focus on biosecurity, and yep. uh, we've. I'm even seeing growers out in the field that they're buying their own set of shoes for how, for how. So, so right. they are even taking this up a, a, another level. Yep. So, uh, so it's really good, encouraging to see that. Yes, you know the companies can talk so much about it or extension camp but when they're seeing all this on the news and all it's just very everybody understands that it. it's a very serious matter absolutely and not restricted to any one part of the country or no or the country not, at all yeah no it's uh started out i think canada back in october and yeah yeah that's the big uh area or surprise i guess that i had was you know last year it was probably February, March when it was right. already breaking. Now it's like October, November. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Just people just got to be aware and just really take biosecurity. Very important. So yeah. now on the research side, as, uh, as you get geared back up, um, you want to talk a little bit about your sure. research program, kind of the things that, that interest you? Yeah. Um, I finished, uh, Stephanie Philpott finished her, degree uh, 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 last uh, fall semester with me where we really taken a, a look again on, uh, you know, how can we improve methodology on uh, metabolizable energy assays? So, and now with the, uh, you know, big emphasis on credits with biodiesel and, you know, what is this? actually going to look like with our industry in terms of alternative fat sources. And so that's an interest I have is yeah. saying, can, can we take some uh, fats and oils that maybe have not been traditionally used, such as mm-hmm. say like a palm oil and, and right. you know, what, what is, what can we expect in terms of ME values of that on formulating feed? Because it's uh, certainly I think can get very challenging as this these biodiesel credits go with these different uh, sources of you know, fats and oil. So, oh yeah, 
the the competition for energy sources. Competition for energy <laughs> is going to be very very important moving forward. So yeah. Yeah. that's an, that's an area right now, and I'm just trying to get back, you know, started up and go. I want to try to get the extension program going, and uh, yeah. you know during uh, spring semester, and then yeah. uh, try to start easing into. Uh, you know, research. I mean, research will be about 25% of my, my mm-hmm. appointment. So not as yeah. much as it's been in the past, but still. Right. Uh, right. Do plan to be productive, have some applied program going on, uh, particularly right. nutrition and even some other things with management. If it, what opportunity lends itself. There's still work to be done. That's for sure. There he is. <laughs> yep. Things change. Birds change. And, uh, yeah, what's available changes. Economics change. It's, yeah, a lot of moving yeah, it's parts. a lot of questions that need to continue to be answered. And yep. Really found that out, Ben, on the uh, how many holes we actually do have in the literature with serving on the NRC committees. Uh, or, oh, right. Or the nation's right. committee. I keep calling it NRC. But really. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but working on the, you know, with that. So yeah. any, any updates on that you'd want to share? Or? Well, we're just still trying to kind of finish up on some few yeah. chapters, but don't yeah. really have anything that I'm, can really share with, with that yeah. group. Oh, that's okay. It's a Herculean effort. I mean, to oh, think yeah. about, oh my goodness, it's just a lot. It's a lot of work. And there is, there's holes that we, we have and, uh, and you don't realize it as much until you start digging in. So, yeah. Sometimes we assume, oh yeah, that's, that's out there somewhere. Uh, is it? <laughs> Sometimes yeah, it's yeah. not. Yeah. No. And that's, yeah. that's a good, good point, Jason, that we, you know, we have to have a peer-reviewed uh, journal article right. to really validate what a requirement would be. And yeah. say for, as you know, like vitamins, it's been a long time since we've really, as a whole, a scientific community, really updated vitamin requirements. That's an example that there's just big, big holes. So, uh, but yeah, there's not as many poultry science departments and so you know like pullets and breeders that's a another big gap in terms of nutritional needs as well yeah that's right i feel like kind of the classical nutrition studies there just aren't as many people that that kind of pursue that and there's a lot of reasons for that uh you know i mean from funding to just what kind of grants young scientists are expected to get. There's yeah, just a lot of things that have led to that. But I always hope that we have at least some people around who understand some of the, some of the basics of studying nutrition. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good point. But with the, how departments have, you know, down to six poultry science departments and we've got several animal science departments around that has a poultry person or two. Mm-hmm. And it's just we don't have quite as many faculty as a whole working on it. And it shows up when we do work. Because a lot of work you'll run into, it, even on applied, it may be a, some type of feed additive or an enzyme or whether it be a probiotic, prebiotic. But it's not like defining a nutrient requirement for some. Right. Yeah, right. So it's a little different. So it's just... 
like you say, it's just where the money's taking us from an academic standpoint. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. DSM strives to bring our customers efficient, sustainable poultry solutions. From essential vitamins like HYD to next-generation products like Hyphorius for efficient phosphorus utilization and Biofix to counteract naturally occurring metabolites in feed, our portfolio is growing as we continue to bring innovation to the poultry industry. Visit dsm.com forward slash ANH to learn more about our newest solutions. Well, I want to be respectful of your time as, uh, as we kind of draw, draw near to the close. Got a couple of questions that sure. we like to ask everybody. And so we're going to uh, see first if you have a favorite poultry related book or resource or website or it can be anything poultry related. Well, uh, we got a, uh, a couple books that may, and and it may not necessarily apply to uh, poultry, but it does apply to I think personal growth that I'd mm-hmm. like to just mention. Um, yeah, one book is called Good to Great, and oh, it's by, by, by Jim Collins, and yes. uh, you know it really takes a look and evaluation of how to move average performing or below average performing companies to great or superior performing over an extended period of time. So, and in the book it talks about, and this is more related to, could be with leadership, but it's just getting everyone on on the bus and getting everyone in the right seat and position to move forward. And I've, I've really enjoyed reading that. And that can be a, Applied to any to someone's research program or yes. oh, yeah. whatever. It's just yeah. knowing what is truly important or what are the, the goals that we really need to be really addressing in an academic uh, setting. And where if it's publications, you know, money and really not losing track of what what really what that is. And uh yeah. And not getting, because a lot of times I've seen faculty that may, you know, just over time, just, you know, look at other uh, areas that may not be the main focus. And so I've really enjoyed reading that book and just saying really what can we focus on, whether it's leading a department or leading a a group or maybe it's just leading a a team within – at the college level or or within the department so yeah. it could apply even to a classroom i think you know getting yeah. you know, getting everybody on the same page on the bus like you said right. and yeah getting them going in the same direction yeah yep yeah. then the other one i wanted to leave with you was uh it factor leadership 
by Fernandez and Fernandez. And it's really 13 steps, becoming a better leader. So I thought that there may be some younger faculty that may be thinking about pursuing a leadership position in the future. And yeah, that may be a good resource. I, I do would like to encourage people if they're interested in, uh, you know, administration, that it's always good to, to have it explore the opportunity if it presents itself on a mm-hmm. promotion and tenure committee to really understand how a P&T committee really works. Uh, are there committees at the college level that you get a broader context rather than just in the department? And so I think those can experiences, uh, faculty senate is another one at the university level. Yeah. Uh, I cook's another one that's very, I think, very important with uh, a unit leader over animals, you know, and just having that experience is, I think, very, very important. And, uh, but, you know, just yeah. really looking at that, if that's what you would desire. But, yeah. you know, that, yeah. I just thought that would be a few tips to leave if someone yeah. wanted to. Absolutely. Those are great suggestions. And that that good to great. I yeah, I really enjoyed that. It's been a number of years since I read that, but I'm going to have to take another look at it because I I'm kind of intrigued now with that idea of applying some of those principles in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. It was written for business corporate, but still, I think it's very important to, you know, still can apply, I think, to an academic setting. Sure. Sure. Great. Well, then that we've sort of almost segued into this anyway. So let me just ask if if there's any other kind of um, advice you would have. I know you've you've worked with a lot of young people over the years who end up going into industry. So whether it's advice for for young people looking at industry or looking at academia or even people who are in that kind of mid career considering changes, just any other advice you'd like to, to give. I appreciate that. Um, you know, as I look at say young faculty, whether they're uh, looking to complete a dissertation and accept mm-hmm. a PhD position, I'm, I mean, accept a faculty position sure. in the near future, or assistant professors very young in the in their career. I mean, I and I emphasize enough about getting off to a fast start yeah, and getting yeah. developing that research program, really taking heart to p- publishing papers and, and really establishing that, you know, your lab as, you know, <clears throat> and then it's, so at the end of the day, I mean, you've got to need to be, have a, at least from assistant to associate, a regional and emerging national rep- reputation. Mm-hmm. You just do not have a lot of time. When you re- right. really, I know that five or six years may s- seems like a long time, but really mm-hmm. to get you know your program up and going, publishing yeah. papers, so forth. Uh, yeah. You know, securing grant funding, and you know, it's just very, very important. Uh, yeah. You know, one thing I aspect that we've started here uh, right after I 
uh, <clears throat> accepted the department head position, was establishing a graduate uh, uh, club uh, for our graduate mm-hmm. students. Yeah. And so, you know, oftentimes, uh, and, you know, a lot of times the undergraduates get a lot of the attention, but having a graduate student club here where we bring in technical people from a lot of different disciplines yeah. just so that they can start that process and building these relationships on whether it's tech service and nutrition, where it's an avian veterinarian, uh, whether it's somebody, you know, food processing or meat, meat processing on QA. There's just a lot of different options. And so the grad students know, you know, what are the various options that they can really, you know, enter into the industry. And that's something that's different than when I was in grad school. I don't think we really knew a lot of these opportunities. And so we get so siloed. Right. And then you, you forget even that, you know, later in your career, um, you may be working with people in other disciplines on, you know, very collaborative projects. And it's good to have that exposure to all of those areas. Very helpful. And I would just, you know, really the advice I would give to grad graduate students is just if you're at national meetings, go up to someone, you don't know, introduce yourself. And yes. Really establish that networking. Yeah. Not underestimate the uh, power of that networking. So, that's right. So that's that would right. be, and that's really very, very important from an industry standpoint. Yeah, it is. And we're dealing now with, uh, well, it's it's not just young people, but I think especially in young people. And part of it was COVID, part of it was some of the other shifts, but the the skills and building those net. Um, networks and talking to people face to face, the skills are not where they used to be. And so people really have to push themselves out of their comfort zone, but the rewards are well worth it. Oh, they are. And uh, one of the things we do here in our undergrad program is we have an internship uh, Mm -hmm. mandatory. And so so our undergrads are are preparing their self for through an internship to enter the industry. And now we also have seen some graduate students taking that opportunity. If it can be aligned with their projects, right? Maybe in a su- summer type setting to sure. actually uh, do it like a tech service type role, uh, yeah. internship or with a nutri- corporate nutritionist, something like that, that or a veterinarian. So, that's, you know, something I would really re- recommend if sure. if it works out for a pro. It's not going to work out for everybody's program. But right, right. But yeah, when it does, yeah, very powerful. Yeah. I know that Sam Rochel finished a master's degree with me, and he was going to U of I yeah. to, to work with Dr. Parsons. And uh, during that, between the, the spring and the fall, he took the advantage of uh, – doing an internship uh, at Avigen and uh, that the feed meal. And that was very, very uh, worthwhile. And Kate Malone, she worked with me and uh, she's uh, 
she went on to Mount Air, and then when she got to Mount Air, then Stephanie Philpott actually did a uh, internship with Kate. So uh, yeah, so I've I've had a couple of these, and uh, I think it really opens eyes up. And I think to me, an internship, the value is it may not be what I want to do, but mm-hmm. defining what I maybe I don't want to do. I don't. Oh, so, very important. Then I'm not going down the pathway and then I can change and, you know, pursue another pathway. Absolutely. I think that's probably as as important as finding where the area you won't want to work in. Mm -hmm. So that's the benefits I've seen with internships, both undergrad as well as graduate. But no, that's, but just preparing graduate students for careers in industry is, mm-hmm. I think, just the whole network. And that starts during the master's program, follows through the PhD. Well, great advice. Dr. Bill Dozier, we've enjoyed visiting with you. We sure appreciate your time and, and wisdom. Um, it's great to visit with, uh, with someone who our paths have crossed many times. And I, I really hope that continues into the future because this has been... Just a lot of fun. Um, Learn some things and appreciate all the advice that you've shared. Appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time-consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.